It was good to be here with you all. And uh, last time I spoke at this thing, it was at uh, 7th Street, and I translated myself into Spanish, so it's been a while. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Cuba. That's one place that uh, I was able to go earlier this year for about two weeks. Uh, but just share a little bit. Most of you all here know me um, and know that we served the Lord for a couple of years in, in Peru back in the 80s. And then in Spain from uh, 2000, from 1992 to 2002, then we came back home. And since then, we've been serving the Lord here uh, in various things, itinerant meetings here in the states. And increasingly, our ministry has turned more to uh, working among the Hispanic assemblies here in the states, as well as more trips overseas. And so, I've made a number of trips to Honduras in the last few years, uh, and spent several weeks at a time there. Along with Angie, most of the time she goes with me. Sometimes uh, she's not able to. Uh, El Salvador, uh, Mexico, uh, Peru have gone there several times. And um, then also uh, Cuba. And I hope to go to Guatemala, Lord willing, next year. Uh, Still have trips planned uh, later this year. I'm I'm praying about going back to Cuba for a a week or so. Uh, Just corresponding with the brethren down there about the possibility of that. Then also... Uh, You know that Joel Clark is back in the States. His cancer has come back, and he's had some treatments for that. Praise the Lord that that has been taken care of, but he still has ongoing treatments until near the end of September. So I'm going to go down for about three weeks, Lord willing, uh, to be with the brethren there. He took over the work that Angie and I helped uh, start back in the 80s in a little part of Lima called Covida. And so that's where I'm going to be primarily uh, in the month, of, latter month, of part of August and part of September. And then uh, back to um, Honduras for the month of October, El Salvador for uh, part of, of November, and then back to Peru, Lord willing, in, in uh, January. So I spent about half the year out of the States, and uh, the rest of the year is divided between ministering to some to the Hispanic assemblies. Uh, there's a lot of small assemblies, and... And the situation with the Hispanic Assemblies here in the States, they're good brethren. They, they love the Lord. They know the Word of God uh, to a certain extent. But most of those that came to the States uh, came here um, not legally. Not, not all, but most of them came here not legally and uh, left there. They weren't the most spiritual uh, brethren in the Assembly. There's a lot of immaturity there. And so although they know the, the Word of God, they love the Word of God, uh, they have difficulty sometime in teaching the word, and so uh, and also in leadership, most of them have the conviction that if they 're here illegally they can 't be in the place of leadership which i which I agree with as far as elders in the assembly and so I get a lot of calls from different brethren in different assemblies around there's there 's meetings here of course in Miami that are a little bit more established. But there's newer assemblies in South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, New Orleans, uh, Houston, Dallas area, uh, other places like that. And so we try to go as often as we can to those meetings as well. Uh, so that's the ministry that we've been commended to. And uh, just appreciate y'all's prayers uh, for direction. Uh, I, I have a difficulty saying something that my wife tells me I need to say more often, and that's the word no. Uh, well, usually I just say, well, Lord, if I get invited, I'll go. So um, it means a lot of travel, and uh, and so we praise the Lord for that, those opportunities and appreciate you all praying for us. I, before I start the slides on Cuba, I want to ask one other thing. You all, most of you know that our daughter Elizabeth and her husband Jamin Peck 
are serving with New Tribes Missions in Indonesia, which our brother uh, Nathan's going to talk to us about a little bit more about the work among the Muslims. But actually, that's the most highly populated Muslim country in the world. There's more Muslims in Indonesia than anywhere else. Uh, Jamin is a pilot. He grew up in uh, Africa. His parents were missionaries in the Congo. Uh, it was Zaire at that time, but it's called the Congo now. And uh, always had a desire to serve the Lord as a pilot. Uh, that's coming more and more about. They had a lot of time of training. They just finished what New Tribes would say is sufficient amount of language learning to be able to go out to the station where they're going to be. They're packing up this big container with all their stuff to go out. And uh, they're utilizing this time to come back to the States. They're actually leaving um, within the next few hours. It's about a 24-hour trip. And with five small children under the age of 10, we know what that was like. Uh, You had five children as well uh, under the age of nine. And so we know what it's like to travel with that many children, especially that long a distance, about 24 hours total time with all the stops and everything. They're going to go through Tokyo and then L.A. and then on uh, to Maryland. Uh, But just pray for them as they travel. And then when they go back, they're going to be in the place where where they're going to be serving. Uh, the reason they're coming back right now, their visa was only renewed for six months. They were going to come back next summer. But the other thing is, in the, in the nation of Indonesia, there has to be at least one person that is certified to be able to, as a mechanic, to be able to do all the mechanical work on the particular plane that they're going to be flying. It's called the Kodiak. It's a plane specifically made for missionaries. It's a lightweight plane that has a lot of room for passengers as well as cargo. And uh, someone has to be certified in the country to be able to sign off on all the work that's done on that. There is no one now in Indonesia, and so he's got to come back for about three or four weeks to get that training. And so they thought, well, they would just utilize that time to come back uh, here between the next transition. So pray for Jamin and Elizabeth Peck, if you would, especially between like now and I think they arrive sometime Wednesday into uh, into uh, Maryland, into into BWI or well, I think it's Dulles Airport. So just pray for them and for their family and their time. They'll be here for about four months, Lord willing, uh, in between Kansas and where we live and then in uh, North Carolina where his family lives. So I'll just say a little bit about Cuba. You know, Cuba is an interesting country. And, and I use the word, I think when I think of the, of the place Cuba, I, I think of a contrast. It's such a country of contrast. It's a beautiful country. And uh, yet it's such a sad country. There's a lot of poverty there. Uh, the government, of course, we know is communist. It is um, uh, controlled now not by Fidel but by his brother Raul, who really is more radical or was more radical than, than Fidel ever was. Fidel kind of held Raul back. Raul would have killed a whole lot more people uh, if he could have. Now, this is again what the Cuban people tell me there. Uh, the, the government controls everything. They own everything. Uh, all the agriculture uh, that's, that's produced in the country, all the goods that are manufactured belong to the government, and they're the ones that, that sell them. Uh, so, in, so like a farmer, I, I met one brother who was a farmer down there, and so everything he grows, he can keep a little bit for himself, but all the rest goes to the government, and they give him the price that they're going to give him. Uh, that's the way it is. Uh, it's a country of contrast also morally, because although they don't believe in God, uh, the assemblies there have been established long before the communists came into power, and uh, they're, they're going on. Uh, they have freedom to meet. They have freedom to openly gather. 
uh, they can go out on the street and hand out gospel literature. Uh, they wouldn't be able to like do like we do, like a, like you do at the at the beach, you know, uh, preach openly publicly. But they're able to to be able to share the gospel with people. In fact, when Fidel died, all the churches were closed for a week, uh, except for this one place I'll show you in a minute. It's called Pinar del Rio. And, and they, they had meetings while, the, while that was going on. They weren't supposed to, but they did. And, uh, and when the people, the police found out about it, they said, oh, that's okay. That's the Sala Evangelica. That's the, the Gospel Hall, and that's okay if they have them. Because they had such a testimony in the town. And even when they had these, these processions, when after Fidel died, they were actually handing out gospel literature. And uh, the police just let them go because they had such a wonderful testimony. So there's freedom that way in religious a lot more than it used to be. One brother, I'll show you the picture of him in, in a little bit. Actually, when the communists came into power, he was in a concentration camp for about three years. And what they did at that point, they gathered up all the Christians, all the Roman Catholics. They gathered up all the, uh, the homosexuals and the lesbians and all the misfits. And they threw them together into a concentration camp. And he was there, and he was, it was a tough situation. You can imagine what a concentration camp was like for three years. Uh, so there's freedom, and there's more freedom now than there was before, uh, but it still doesn't have the freedoms that we enjoy. I can go there anytime I want. I can get a religious visa. I can preach all I want to, uh, any, either house to house or in the local assemblies. And so uh, we have the freedom to do that. And... Uh, I try to take stuff down there. Uh, just, just to give you an idea, when I was down there last time, I said, what stuff would you like me to bring? And they said, uh, Band-Aids, aspirin, um, things that you and I just take for granted that we can buy at any Walmart, uh, and uh, hydro, hydrocortisone and you know, cream like that, uh, a blood pressure uh, machine, check their blood pressure, uh, anesthesia. My son-in-law is a dentist, so I'm going to get some anesthesia because when they go to the, doc- the dentist, they, they don't have any anesthesia for their, to pull their teeth. Just things like that. So just, you know, they don't want a lot. They just want some things that, again, you and I just take for granted. We walk down to Walmart and we buy on the shelf and anything we want like that. So, uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to take some of that down with me when I go. Um, the uh, Everything is controlled by the government in the sense that when they want to buy anything, groceries or anything, they're rationed. And so beyond the rations, what they have to do, they have to go to the black market. And the black market is known by the government. It's It's... The government knows where it is, what it's doing. They don't try to stop it because they realize if they, people just got what they got from the, from the government, they starve to death. And uh, the same thing with the diesel fuel. The, all the vehicles down there are diesel. I was talking to uh, Brother Dennis this morning. He was saying, hey, when you go down there, get me one of those cars and bring it back for me. I said, yeah. There's some really nice older cars. We'll see a couple here in a minute. But every car down there in Cuba has a diesel engine in it, every single one of them. Even these old cars, you know, they all have diesel engines because that's all the fuel you can get. So it's a country of contrast. It's a beautiful country. I'll tell you what, the people are super nice. I never went one single Cuban that wasn't just wonderful to me. I mean, from the moment I walked in immigration. Maybe there are some Cubans here that are not as nice. I don't know. But anyway, the ones down in Cuba are wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious with you. Those people down there were, from the moment I walked in, they'd been over backwards. And I told the girl at immigration, I said, if all Cubans are as nice as you, it's going to be great. She said, well, you all are. And they really were. I never felt in any way in danger. In fact, they told me, he said, you can, a girl can walk down the street at 3 o'clock in the morning doesn't have to worry about it. There's no drugs. There's no guns. There's no pornography. There's no uh, prostitution. There's none of these things because the government has control. 
There's no homosexuality. There's none of the things that, that, that we in America take for granted. The immorality that we have in this country doesn't exist down there. So you don't have the freedoms, but there's some good things about that government. Like when Franco was in power in Spain, he was a dictator, and there was none of those things in Spain when he was in power. Uh, so with freedom comes all also freedom to do wicked and horrible things. So uh, this is a country. This is, it. This is a, a park. What I went to, the brethren took me there. Just beautiful. Uh, the 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 green is just so so green and wonderful. I point this like this, right? He told me that would work. He said towards the projector. Did it work that time? Okay. It's just another picture. I mean, I don't have a lot. I'm one of these guys that I don't like a lot of slides. I've been in slideshows where they have 147 slides and, you know. Anyway, there's not a lot. This is just another picture of the country, the countryside there. Where, where do I point it? Yeah, I'll tell you what. You, I'll tell you what. Can you guys do it for me? If I go boop like that, if I go beep, y'all can do it for me? Okay. Uh, this is just in a town. Uh, this is actually in Pinar del Rio, one of the towns I was in. There's, there's two towns I was in primarily. One, uh, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, like Gabriel the Angel. And the other town was Pinar del Rio. And this is, this is actually a camp that they have there. And uh, I stayed at the camp, and this is looking out. This is some of the trees there. Go on to the next slide. Next slide. And uh, this is a park in the town right across from the house that I live. Again, just beautiful. Next slide. But this is the playground in the town. Okay, one park is like a park you can go walk in. This is the playground. And you can just see it's just, I mean, it's falling apart. And, uh, you know, it's just the grass is all dead. It's just deserty there compared to the beautiful green. Next slide. I think it's another one. Saying, no, it's not. Uh, this is the streets. Clean. There is no trash in any of the streets in Cuba. And they're wide. They're beautiful avenues. The buildings are clean. They're well painted. It's just, it's just beautiful. The country, the city itself. Uh, go on next, next slide. Again, just another. This is a theater there. Just another slide of. And you can just see how nice and clean everything is. Next slide. Uh, this is there. Now this is different modes of transportation. So you got one mode. You got, you got walking. They have the umbrella because it's so hot down there. And uh, next slide. Uh, this you can't see this very well. This is a this is actually a taxi. It's got a bunch of people in it, but it's drawn by a horse. So I, I guess that's a little bit costs a little bit, but not as much as the next one. Next slide. Next slide is a bicycle. So you got a bicycles, and they can put two or three people in the back. I never tried to get into one of those things. It probably would have done a wheelie and never gone anywhere if I'd have gotten in. But anyway, it was they were there, and uh, they had them all over the place. Uh, next slide. Uh, these old cars, and look at this thing. This thing has probably got 15 people in that car. They're crammed in there. But that's a taxi, okay? Just an old car that they made, and they got into a taxi, and they have the thing on the roof to put their luggage and stuff and their spare tire. Next slide. And this is another. This is a, this is a bus. It's like a, a big truck that they've closed in. they got seats inside of there, and they got a window all around the top, you know, kind of like the Ark did. they got a window all around the top, and, and that's, they trim... 40, 50 people in one of those. Okay? That is the, the bus. And those aren't just in town. Those go from one town to another like that. Next slide. And then here's some of the old cars. Now, you can see this. This is in pretty good shape. Most of the cars I saw down there were like this. Just so well taken care of. Uh, they're expensive. You buy a car like this down there, even down there, it would cost you $30,000. 
And you can't buy them. You can't get permission from the government to buy or sell your car. So I don't know how they do it, but... But anyway, that's it. And then, of course, you've got the newer vehicles down there. Most of those belong to the government. And you can tell by the license plate, the ones that have an orange license plate belong to churches, and they have a religious uh, license plate. The ones with the blue are the ones that belong to the government, and those are usually the newer ones. Next slide. I think it's some more cars. Yeah, it's there again. There's a taxi. You can see it's got the blue on the, on the plate there in the front plate. That's a government-owned car. That's a government-owned taxi. And those other two cars are just, I don't know what those, some of you guys might know what those are, you know, some of those old cars. But anyway, I'll, I'll tell you what, those Cubans, they could tell you what, there's a 1942 Ford whatever, you know, they knew every car down there. Next slide. Um, and then this is a tractor. Okay, so their farm equipment is old, beat up stuff. I mean, it's just, we were talking about it today, they, they, can't, they, don't, they don't buy parts for their car, they make parts. And there's a brother down there that I was with who was a, uh, had a, a machine shop, and he would take a piece of metal and he would form it into whatever, you know, he would make whatever part they needed. Everything they made from scratch. And it might take them all day to make something. Make a dollar, you know, by making that thing. But that's, that's what it was. A school teacher earns $12 a month. School teacher earns $12 a month. Okay? And, and a doctor, I saw one of the, the, the top. A G-Y, woman doctor, you know, whatever you call those. I don't know what they're called. I never had to go to one. Anyway, so he was, the guy was riding a bicycle because he couldn't afford a car to go from one place to another. That, I mean, one of the leading in the country couldn't afford a car. It, it, it's just, it's poverty down there. It really is. Like I said, I, you know, a, a commended worker, they told me, they said, if you give him a $100 bill, that's more than he would normally have for a year. For a year, don't give him a hundred dollar bill. Oh, I, I did, you know. I mean, I'm, you know, how I am. Anyway, so I, but that's he said that's more when they get, you know, what they give them. If you give, if I share some money with a brother down there who was distributing down, he said we give them ten dollars a month, and that's what they live on. That's what they live on. The committed workers down there. There's about a dozen of them. So that just gives you an idea of the farm equipment. That's actually in front of a school. That's a school right there. This is looking out from the house where I stayed. Next slide. Uh, there's now that's um, you know there there were four primary leaders in the revolution. There was Fidel and Raúl, there was Che, and there was Carmelo. Well, that's Che, that's a tobacco factory. You know they're big with tobacco, with cigars, Cuban cigars, and that was right across from the um, from the uh, uh, camp where I was staying. Next slide. So there's three of them. This is on this side is Fidel, in the middle is Raúl, and the other one is Carmelo. That's three of the leaders of the, uh, that was actually a postcard that I bought. That's three of the leaders, that was right in the revolution. It started on the far eastern end of the, of the island. It's jungle and mountainous and worked its way over. And Havana is about, about a third of the way from the, from the west of the island. And that's, of course, where it ended. So these are, this is a time when they were still uh, in the revolution. Next slide. Okay, this is Che. And what it says, my dreams is that there would be no borders. There would be no borders. So that's, they have signs everywhere with this propaganda everywhere, uh, the communist propaganda. Um, next slide. Uh, there's Fidel. And uh, when he died, like I said, what they did was they forced a bunch of people to come to um, Havana. And he was buried out in the, in the area where the, the revolution started on the eastern end of the island. And the, but they, when he took his casket through Havana, they had everybody stand and they made him shout, I am Fidel, I am Fidel, I am Fidel. Just forced. But here it says, 
for the, uh, to, uh, to, until the, the, the victory forever. Okay, next slide. Uh, this is this is another saying from Fidel. A revolution is the uh, freeing uh, freeing ourselves ourselves uh, with our own uh, power and it uh, and to defend the values uh, that we believe in at, at, at whatever cost at whatever sacrifice. And that really is what they believe. We're going to pay whatever it takes. We're going to we're going to stand on the values. And brother, you know that's the way the communists believe, and that's why they they won the revolution there. And yet we as believers, well, we've got such greater things, don't we? We've got the word of God and the truth of God's word, and we ought to stand uh, and be willing to even suffer death if it's necessary for the cause of Christ. Next, next slide. Uh, so this is just this is a house there, you know, in, in, uh, in Havana, right across the street from one of the chapels. Next slide. Uh, this is another this is a, a big apartment building house there in the same area. Next slide. This kind of gives you a feel of it. And then this is the contrast. This is where uh, most people live. Uh, this is a, a, a neighborhood that was built near a factory. And I'll tell you what, it's just the, the steps, they're made of concrete. They're falling in. Uh, the, the electrical wires are open. You could go up and grab one of them. It would shock you. It's not even covered with, with any kind of, of coating or anything like that. And that's where people live. They live in that kind of condition. So just a real contrast. We actually had a Bible study there uh, one one Sunday afternoon with some of the, the sisters that live in that area. Next slide. Uh, this is where the brother that I stay with, his name is Alfredo Capote. This is his house. Next slide. Uh, this is one of the chapels. Uh, there's there's actually two assemblies in Havana. And this was one of them. I spoke there and, and the brethren from the area came in one Saturday morning. We had some meetings there. And it's just uh, just Sala Evangelica's Gospel Hall. Uh, so uh, that's that's the one in, in Havana. Next slide. Uh, this is the one I was telling you about in Pinar de Rio. And uh, the brethren that started this meeting, they built this building. It's been there since since the 50s. And uh, just a, a, a beautiful building. And right on the main corner of the city, everyone in that town knows the brethren there. And, uh, again, they have a, a real testimony. Uh, and it says, says uh, God wants that all men be saved. Dios quiere que todos sean salvos. Todos hombres sean salvos. Next slide. Uh, this is where we were meeting in a home. Here's a little bit tiny house. We had about 20 people packed in there. And uh, no air conditioning. We had one little fan. I didn't feel any of that. I was actually sitting outside keeping the dog out of the way, you know, and preaching. But uh, just the hunger for the Word of God. Next slide. Uh, this is the, the Pinar de Real. This is the assembly there, so you can kind of see. That's about the size of all the meetings, you know, about 20, 25 people in fellowship uh, for most of the meetings down there. Next slide. Uh, this is Alfredo Capote this, the, on the far the side I'm on. That's the brother that, that I stayed with. Most of these are his family and then others from the assembly there uh, in El Gabriel where I, where I stayed uh, part of the time. And this, is the, this was the brother I was telling you about that was in a concentration camp for about three years. Uh, next slide. Well, that's it, right? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, you know, just nothing spectacular, nothing, you know, just, just pray. You know, the Lord, there, you know, sometimes we get so caught up. Uh, there are 1.2 billion Roman Catholics on their way to hell. And I realize the ecumenical movement has just, has just done such damage to the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in this country. But let me tell you, I was raised Roman Catholic. I can tell you, they're on their way to hell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here, right here where you all are, um, you you have a responsibility to be missionaries 
Paul told Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. You've got here Hispanics. This, country, this city is filled with them. You've got here people that are from all kinds of ethnic, different ethnic backgrounds. You've got a mission field right here. And I just encourage you, you know, preach the gospel. See people saved. You don't have to go anywhere. I mean, I didn't become a missionary because I went across the body of water. In fact, when we were commended, what the elders told us, they said, Mark, you and Angie, we're not commending you to do a work. We're commending you to continue the work you're doing right here just in a different venue. And so every one of us are ambassadors for Christ. And I just want to encourage you. You know, you don't have to go somewhere. You've got millions of Roman Catholics right in the city that are dying. You've got, you've got Muslims. You've got all kinds of weird religions here in this city. And they need Christ. And uh, the one thing I just want to share as I close, you know, we, we talk about Christ a lot. And that's easy to do. Um, but the main thing that we need to be doing uh, is to live Christ in front of these people. And that's what we're falling down on here in the United States in this in this country. It's so easy to be a Christian here. There's no persecution. Uh, all we say, oh, people, you know, that, that's not real persecution, you know. And uh, I had three people threaten me when I was in Spain, you know, my life. And But, you know, you just praise the Lord, you know. He died for me. Why can't I die for him? I died for him 39 years ago anyway. And so, brethren, just encourage you. You know, you come here and hear these reports, but I hope it stirs up your hearts. To serve the Lord right here where you are, in your schools, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, uh, in the people you come in contact with, and just share the gospel with them. Because the vast majority of people you come in contact with every single day are rushing headlong into eternity without Jesus Christ. And might he give us a vision. We're almost there. We're almost to the end. It's almost over with. I tell you all I know exactly the day he's coming back, right? Come back today. I don't know the date, but I sure know the day he's coming back today. And our time's running out. So the Lord just... I encourage you. I appreciate and the Lord bless you all. Thanks so much.